Here we are again. Kill your gods. Dune, book two, part two. Book two being Mwadib, uh 323 <laughs> to 392. Such and such. Too much information to get out there. I'm Jesse Dram. I am your host. We're talking Dune. My guest this week, musician, uh, acquaintance, <laughs> bearded man extraordinaire, Burn, B-E-R-N, the bastard. Hello, everybody. My name's well, Burn, and I read Dune. So we're talking about it. We're talking about the middle chunks. You gave me some of the good chapters. Yes. Fun, I Fun stuff in here. I think I think you got the best action scene so far. Okay. Yeah, I had, guess I did. Yeah, we've had a lot of hinted action. I still feel like uh, the death of Duke Leto was a little bit. I can't say anticlimactic. If if anything, it happened like an actual assassination would. It's you're you're prepared for a Kennedy style shootout, and then the middle of the night, suddenly you're getting a poison tooth in your face, and you know, that's that. <laughs> So real quick, before we get started, where can we find you on social media? What do you uh-huh. have to promote? Oh, so uh, we've been putting out singles, my band, Burning the Bastards. Um, and yeah, they're everywhere. Spotify, Apple Music, Bandcamp, whatever you use, uh, they'll be there. But um, we just put out two singles. We got a third one coming out on October 18th and uh got the album coming out we still don't have the date released yet but we're finishing up mixing this week i think i'm going to my mixing dude's house after later nice to to finish things off but uh yeah that's what we're up to and and if i actually have a song about dune on there that's what i was curious about how uh is it about a specific part of Dune or just? Yes. So the song is called Dirge for Jameis. Mm. And I read the, the honestly, the, my favorite part of Dune is the chapter headings. Kind of. You get so much extra information and perspectives that you don't get in the actual text. Right. Um, and like, I just read that and it's like, this is the most badass thing I've ever read. It's like, do you wrestle with dreams? Do you contend with shadows? Do you move in a kind of sleep? Time has slipped away. Your life is stolen. You've tarried with trifles, victim of your folly. And it's like, that's the most badass thing. I've been mixing it and recording it myself. So that's why I can r- rattle it off like that. <laughs> Cause I've listened to it 10,000 times in the last, uh, yeah. That's how it goes sometimes when you're making music. That's pretty great. What what genre can we expect? It's like uh, kind of punk rock, a little bit of ska in there, that song particular. But it's also, uh, it's in like a, a Phrygian mode, if you're a music nerd. Okay. Um, which is kind of like this Spanish, Arabic sounding mm-hmm. thing. It's a music nerd thing, but uh, it's the best mode. And I haven't used it in a song, uh, at least for this band. So it's like, yo, right, we're, we're, we're about to do lo- that. We're about to lose the entire audience. Which step is uh, the Phrygian based on? I forget. The third. The third? Okay. The third. Yeah. Uh, it's a minor, but it has a minor second. So it's the third and the fourth interesting okay yeah. okay so yeah you might have uh listened to the song i sent you gurney halleck's second song there's yes. i've only that's only the second song i've recorded for this so far both of them have been gurney halleck 
And I've tried to, uh, I, I know some of my theory, but not so much that like, if it's in something interesting, it's because somebody told me it was after the fact. I yeah, was just yeah. going for like, what's, what's mournful desert folk music sound like? Mm-hmm. Now you pulled that off pretty well. I'm very glad that that end part, I, I initially had a chord change in there that I realized was ripping off a very famous Pantera song. So, uh, <laughs> Always rip songs off. Yes. Always. That's how I write all my good songs. They're all ripoffs. Every good song ever written is a ripoff of another good song. That's just how it works. It's okay. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you should apply that entirely to a Dune album, just like ripping off other famous songs all about yeah. Dune. Just oh, a gosh. small town girl living in a sandy world. Sandy. Oh, my God. I hate sand. I will say that is an interesting thing about this. I'm not a fan of sand at all, but I do enjoy this book. And not even in the Star Wars meme. It's gritty yeah, yeah. and gross and it's stuck <laughs> in everything. Funny thing is, I am an ocean person entirely. I just, I, I okay. hate the beach itself. You're from Caladan, I see. That's right. I Caladan boy. Cal- Caladanian? I... <laughs> Now I'm just making shit up. So what what is your uh, background in Dune? How did you even get into it in the first place? So I uh, first read it like a couple of years ago. It wasn't too long ago. Mm-hmm. Maybe like uh, four years ago or something. Maybe three years ago. No, like three years ago. But um, I saw the movie a long time ago, the David Lynch movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh man, they fucked that up so bad. Or I feel like the first third's pretty good. You know, they get the art direction pretty good as David Lynch usually does. But, you know, he's so bad at plot. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I mean, the the jihad isn't even mentioned. And that's the most important thing in this book. You know, and so um, I'm actually, I started reading um, God Emperor. And I had to put it down when I started working on this album in January. But, um, you know, excited to pick it up again once uh, I have my a little bit of my life back. Is God Emperor the book immediately following this one? No. That's okay, the, I was gonna say, I don't um, know the order. The, the fourth one? The fourth okay. one. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure how deep into the series I want to go, but I think it would probably be deep enough to... Uh, read the one that's all about it basically the prequel for leto atreides just because he sounds he seems like a very interesting character that we only got yeah. like a brief glimpse of uh well okay i you're talking about the prequel ones yes those uh those are uh, apparently really bad or they, they're written by the sun and people hate them so I mean, uh, somebody, probably we'll have some interesting stuff in there that's based on the actual, or of course. But Somebody know. must be buying them. There's like 50 of these fucking books. And that's the, true. The, that's the true. dad only wrote six. Right, right. Well, they, you know, they do the same thing with the, the Lord of the Rings and any, you know, once George R.R. Right. Martin dies, those other books are going to come. I was going to say, does he have any kids? <laughs> I don't think so. See, I, I really hope George R.R. Martin is doing like a long con we're never going to get the books and then he's going to die and like psych i wrote five. Oh god and they just drop the day he dies or something yes he's gonna he's gonna, he's like, gonna pull fuck a all you oh no, yeah right 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 <laughs> i mean that's not a bad plan I, I i remember reading apparently he was upset he said in an interview like 
I really wish people would stop saying I'm going to die before the book's done. I don't like thinking about dying. I intend to. So you're yeah. like you're like 70 years old and like 350 pounds and you're like five. Yeah, he's dude. a big guy. It's a it's a. I mean, I totally get what he's talking about. If I were him, it'd be like, yo, shut the fuck up. Yeah. In that case, now I'm all worried about death. I can't write. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to oh, jinx it. Me and my conductor's hat and suspenders are going to live forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, what is, it that, uh, what is it about Dune that appeals to you, would you say? Uh, hmm. I guess the <laughs> resemblance to our own world, the political intrigue, I guess. Mm. And the religious aspects are always fun. Uh, just the, the whole way that they describe prescience and stuff is fun mm. for me. And I think you can apply to your own life. Or what? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, there's some interesting stuff in there. Okay, well, maybe we should get into this interesting Yeah, let's stuff. actually start talking about the book. Yes, so this is through pages 324 to 391 in the Ace Publishing Edition. Uh, <laughs> yeah, mine's uh, different. Do you have a huge one or is... No, it's a, it, it, it's as Same big as size? the one. It's the biggest one you're holding. Are the pages different in yours? Pages pages are different in this one. It looks it has the same exact cover. I would imagine. It's I know, same. right? Yeah. Well, whatever. It, you 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 can always find it by the headline. The opening one for this one is going to be uh, Muadib reflecting that Caladan was a paradise, but that okay. paradise has a cost. The people have become soft. Which I, I can relate to this. I feel like I've gotten soft as I've gotten older and more comfortable in life. But you would think with Dune being soft would be a good thing. I think soft indicates a lot of water. Which led me to think just how terrible everybody's skin in this universe must be. Oh, just so dry. It's just ashy every day. Just yeah. <laughs> no good. No good. You got to moisturize and there's no moisture. So yeah, more like you're ash fucked. More like ash a kiss if you tell, tell ask me. <laughs> Shit. Just to think of an entire planet of people with just terrible, dry, cracked skin. I don't know. Being soft is not that bad a thing. No, no. So here's a funny thing. On episode two, I had the guys from the Reading Dune podcast on. And me not knowing anything, because I'm only as far in as I'm in, uh, we talk about Tuick, the smuggler at the table for the very tense dinner scene. And his entire role is pretty much to laugh inappropriately at Paul motherfucking these guys. And they told me then, like, I won't tell you anything, just Tuick is my favorite character. And then he, like, dies off screen like five pages later. So I was like, oh, are they <laughs> fucking with me? I don't know. But then here we are, Esmar Tuick. Right, right. We get his son. That's right. So we have uh, Gurney and the new Tuick, who now leads the Arrakis Spice Smuggling Rings. Tuick is uncertain whether his father was killed by Harkonnen men or the traitor from House Atreides. He offers Halleck and his surviving Atreides soldiers, a group of 74 in total, sanctuary with the smugglers but will not help Halleck fight back against the Harkonnen house although Tuick reveals he hates them as well um yeah so we we have right here where he straight up says like oh yeah no 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 we're we're, we're not gonna I hate their fucking guts but you know I'll get to that when I get to that right that's more like a save that one for me 
kind of situation. Patience, though. patience, you know, don't fuck it up. Basically, they're just like, yo, dude, you're going to fuck everything up. And like, I, I always, you know, see Gurney Halleck as Patrick Stewart because that's fun, you know. That's, that's you know what I, I I've seen clips from the original Dune. I've never actually seen the entire thing, so I know that's him. That's not how it's I pretty bad. Him. Um, it's pretty good too, but it's pretty bad. Hold I, on. I mean, I just I, I like Star Trek. You know, it's like mm. oh fuck yeah, I can just throw Patrick Stewart in there and it works. So I'm trying to think. Do you have any idea who was playing Gurney in the new Dune? I think it is Josh Brolin or something. I, I think I, I'm not sure. Well, they got fucking what's his name, Cal Drogo, in there playing. They do, yeah. He's playing, playing Duncan. Idaho. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. I still don't know where Duncan Idaho is in this book. It feels like they're saying he died. Every he's dead. Yeah, he, yeah, he he's dead. dead. He's dead. Damn it. Okay. Well, he he's dead, but like then in the next book, can I like spoilers? Do how does this work? I'll I'll forget all of this. So go ahead. You'll forget all of this. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, fast he's forward, like he's fast like forward the main character seconds. in some of the other books, kind of. Like he comes back as a side character in the next book, um, and I I mean I guess even further on he becomes like the main character because he's the only one alive. Like a million years later. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Um, they keep bringing him back because they keep killing him off. He's kind of like a Kenny. <laughs> character but then is the true hero at the end of the story or something i don't know i'm not there yet okay (laughs) i'm interested to see that uh the baron harkonnen has put beast rabin in charge of arrakis halleck starts at this news revealing he has a score to settle with rabin to avenge the count's previous injuries to halleck's family finally halleck accepts tuick's offer of sanctuary the smuggler hopes that halleck will convince his men to stay also when he returns to his men, he finds one of the wounded, Matai, is close to dying. Matai requests his favorite song from Halleck on the Balasset and passes away listening to the tune that is accompanied by a soldier singing the lyrics of My Woman, which is the song you'll hear at the beginning of this episode. Halleck thinks sadly that his group now numbers only 73. So yeah, great like warrior balladeer, you know, can fucking kill a dude and then sing you a pretty song as you fade away. Right? That's great. Burn, if you were yes. dying and could request one song oh. to see you out, what would it be? Mm, that's hard. Because, like, I want a whole playlist, you know? It's, mm. um, you have a playlist for the funeral. This, this one's a just playlist for, for the funeral, but when I die, I don't have that much time. Which, by the way, if I can mention something very sad, I feel like so many people have funeral playlists in mind. I've been to a lot of funerals, and I've never heard playlist fucking one. So, a lot of final wishes there, not really. Well, not final wishes, I guess. I think everyone's final final wishes, probably. Gee, I sure wish I wasn't dying right now. Yeah, I'm going to say Jethro Tull's Thick as a Brick, because it's 45 minutes long. I was thinking the same fucking thing. I'll get a little more time, you know? It's like, oh, man, this song's long. It's the longest song I can think of off the top of my head, so it's like, yo... Yeah, I will be alive for a little while. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Dream Theater, Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence. Yes, it's eight yeah. different tracks. It's technically one 42-minute piece of music. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Because then you have like, all right, I can like sit down and relax. This is like a movie kind of. Yeah. 
Puccini's Madame Bovary. Yes, with the abridged accent. Um, <laughs> uh, if I'm if I'm cheating less though, um, I would have to say there would be something perverse and beautiful if I went out soprano style to "Don't Stop Believing." Oh shit, that would be fun. That would yeah. be fun. You go down like the Terminator in T two with a thumbs up. <laughs> Good job. Good choice. <laughs> okay, chapter two. The epigraph, the princess says her emperor father had only one friend, a genetic eunuch that was one of the deadliest fighters, Count Fenring, who we'll meet in the next episode, I believe. The count one day brought a gorgeous concubine slave for the emperor. The emperor declared her too beautiful and saves her as a gift to someone else. His restraint was considered awe-inspiring. So yeah, this this is a little problematic part of Dune right here. It's like, oh, that guy's so great. He didn't rape that slave immediately. Yeah. Well, uh, the thing is, I don't think anyone or anyone's perspectives in this book are like supposed to be good or supposed to be like, right. you know, I think I, and I think that's one of the main themes is that like we get this hero character and this, uh-huh. you know, kind of like white savior character. But it's, you know, more life of Brian where he's like, it's like no, nah, you know, don't. He's not a guy, you know, he's just a guy and you guys are making him this by putting him here Mm -hmm. and, you know, he's going to become a bad person and kill a lot of people because that's what leaders do and that there's no way to be a good leader, you know, it's all fucked and you're trapped in it, you know, you could either die and avoid, you know, being that person or, you know, if it's if that's the person, I mean, I don't know if I personally believe that, but I guess the idea is that power, ultimate power corrupts ultimately. Oh, yeah, and I, I definitely agree with that. I think, uh, one, so one of my personal favorite things is to uh, really rip on hardcore leftists, even though I consider myself <laughs> having the same principles. Right, but, you need a little like a uh, reality check every now and again, or like, yeah. you know, I, this I, is I, the way that life is and we all need to survive at the same time while also hoping for a better world and trying to create it, but. Exactly, but at the same time, a, 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 lot, a lot of the political puritism is like, guys, there's this phrase, you don't want to see how the sausage is made. Politics, <laughs> politics is as sausagey as it gets, you know? Right. Right. You should not respect any politician because to get compromise and get things done, you're going to have to do some slimy shit. In mm-hmm. this case, not raping a con. By the way, when I say that, I'm not trying to be, you know, fucking gotcha. Jer- I- I'm not trying to. Oh, yeah, can- yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to cancel the Padisha emperor. Ha- hashtag well, I guess up. what I'm trying to say is like, imagine him as like Bill Clinton or something, you know, like. Exactly. It, Bill, I Bill feel Clinton- like. Bill Clinton was a great politician and a slimy fuck who is exactly yeah. the type of person that'd be like, you know, he saw a super hot slave and he didn't fuck her. What a right, guy. Right. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Like, you know, we're supposed to be critical of all these characters. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, I, I but, by the way, the, the I, thing, I am when I read it. <laughs> yes. The other thing to pay attention is we're also reading the words of his daughter. So this right. would be the equivalent of Chelsea Clinton's memoirs of boy dad was great <laughs> he didn't rape that girl one time yeah yeah fucking bill clinton yeah he, it, <laughs> he he just stuck a cigar in her and called it a day like a gentleman 
who's Jeffrey Epstein in all of this? <laughs> oh God, Harkonnen, definitely Harkonnen, Jeffrey Epstein. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. He he seems to like the boys. Again, I'm not I, I'm not yeah. far enough into the book, but no, uh, you're you're right. You're right. Is he's not a good guy? No, no. Okay, so. As the sun sets, Paul sets the thumper in the deepest part of the rock. They're still stuck out in the desert after being left for dead. Under starlight, he and Jessica begin to walk with an erratic pattern across the open sand, trying to mimic the desert's natural sounds and not raise the attention of the sandworms. They're almost halfway across before they hear the sandworms traveling to investigate the thumper. The worms start the slow and brutal process of ripping through rock to get to it. The sound's becoming a backdrop to Paul and Jessica's careful movements. About 200 meters from safety, Paul accidentally steps on a drum sand and it booms loudly across the desert. Jessica screams at her son to run for the rock zone and they run uh, to safety with a threatening sandworm on their tails. You know, I haven't had a whole lot of times my life was in danger or I was on an epic adventure for my life. I think having my mom with me would really damper the experience definitely, definitely. Yeah. i yeah maybe that's just a part of it it's like ah oh, this is the worst and like mom's here too and like yeah. i'm on an alien planet there's uh, there's no girls and my mom is <laughs> yeah i mean well she's also there when he meets the first girl on the alien planet uh, i guess he and Ke- not the f- no he meets some people at the at the dinner i think right Yes, yes there, there's some other there's some other people he interacts. Oh with. yeah, there's some like spice manager's daughter who's like maybe yeah, a yeah. very feeble, like you know, maybe marry me type thing. <laughs> nah, Paul's not interested. Um, so Paul and Jessica find a way. Oh, okay. The sandworm reaches over the rock to try and catch them, but is suddenly distracted by the sound of another thumper in the distance. Paul and Jessica find a way up a rock, a rock cliff. At the steepest point, there are stairs cut into crevasse. So, you know, size of civilization. At the top of the rocks, they're amazed to see an oasis base. Oasis basis. My God, that is a weird... I get these notes from somewhere else because I'm not writing them. Yeah, that's, that's a good call. Oasis. Oh, my God. That would be an incredible, like, mixed tribute band. Like, Oasis, Oasis. Ace, Oasis Ace of Basis. Oh, okay. You got a lot going on there. There is a lot going on there. Uh, th- yeah, so it's filled with desert plants and there are even mice flitting in and out of the shadows and a bird of prey hunting the rodents. Suddenly though, Paul and Jessica are surrounded by a group of freemen. He's frustrated that he has not immediately, uh, Paul is frustrated he has not immediately fallen into the emergency relaxation like his mother. The freemen, one of them is referred to as a companion by still, threatened to take Paul and Jessica's water and perhaps even their lives. yeah sandy sandy men in the area so we actually have another song here as the epigraph i have not written music for it i think i'm going to make a note you know what hold on i'm just going to sing what we're going to come up with this but uh Ah. so the freeman pillars of the universe uh arakeen music is wondered at for Uh, its mystical fusion which Personally, I think they're, it sounds like they're describing Mars Volta, mystical fusion, <laughs> pillar of the universe. Um, oh, shit. Hold on. I, I, I wanted to do this as a bit. So let's see. <laughs> Burn, if you could just say things for a minute. Talk, talk about say where we things. are in the book so far. Talk about where we are in the book. Yeah. All right. So we're first to 
You're saying Freeman. I always read it as Fremen, but um, we're okay. first like encountering the Fremen in the wild and they're, they seem like these really shifty kind of guys. But, you know, as we're going to get into the next chapter, it's like, nah, you know, Jessica beats the shit out of them. Not beats the shit, but, you know, uh-oh. So, oh, shit. That's okay. We're doing that's some, okay. that's cool. Don't give Technology. away the gag. Don't give, Don't away, give the gag. away the gag. Okay. 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 <laughs> so, uh, okay. keep talking. Oh, fuck. I lost my spot. Well, uh, Jessica bests Stilgar in combat. And, you know, just shows that she's a general badass. And oh, uh, yeah. that... she, she pulls some Bene Gesserit real, like, ooh, I'm fainting, knife to your throat. Right, kind right. Of shit. Yep. And, um... Okay, I don't so... know, it just... Yeah, what do we got? So, all right, be, because I, uh, I, ah. I, I missed... I did not prepare music for these lyrics that appear in the epigraph. So I have worked something out. We're going to go... Th- we're going to do a quick version of this song. All right. Oh, shit, yeah. I can't promise it'll start on time. Oh, well. <laughs> Come on. Oh, why is this not playing? God damn it. This would have been such a good bit. Oh, well. You know what? Never mind. I was going to say. That's Oregon? Yeah. Hold on. I'm going to try one. I was getting it on my side. You can hear the music on your side? Yeah, yeah. I can hear the music. Why the fuck can't I hear it? Oh, God. No. Ah. I'm trying this one more time. Come on. Please work. It's going to be so funny. I don't hear anything. No. Oh, fuck. Here, bring up the words. Okay. I'll do it. Okay. Maybe it'll work. Let's let's try it. I'm going to trust you here, Bird. Okay. <clears throat> I drew my feet through a desert Whose mirage fluttered like a hose Like a hose For races for glory, grief, or danger Fuck. <laughs> I can't hear the music at all right now. I hope it's right. Oh, yeah. Well, what do we got? Approach. Boulder land. An unrushing world. They spread in the tree of my youth. I heard the clock in my brain check. It was caught on their feet. Okay. That's the last time. So. All right. Well, we. Tra- I, I, I appreciate you helping me with that. Cause... Yeah, that was my best uh, off-the-cuff Britney Spears. Ugh. It was only oh. when I was going through my notes, like, fuck, I missed the whole song here, and I don't want to spend the time to record again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, with no still suit, we find Liet Kynes in the desert, mm. uh, who is having trouble surviving the fierce conditions, because, again, no still suit. He is delirious from the heat and lack of water and so weakened that he is now stumbling and crawling along the sand. He starts to hallucinate that his father, Pardo, the first Arakeen planetologist, is with him. 
lecturing him about how to terraform Arrakis into a paradise for human life with lush vegetation and bodies of surface water. Burn, if you were in the desert hallucinating due to lack of water, what would you like to see? Water. As birds of prey begin to circle overhead, Leah kinds. I'm sorry, I don't think I can improve on that. It's kind of. <laughs> I know. I, I like seriously thought about that question. And I was like, no, water. That's. Yeah. <laughs> A redheaded concubine, but mainly water. Um, water. I mean, yeah, if you're dying of thirst, an oasis of some sorts, you know? That's right, yeah. You know, some, some sort of safety from the desert. You see that water, it's almost like you're gonna be the one that saves me. <laughs> Actually, can I have a, like an oasis of Diet Dr. Pepper? I really like the aspartame and it's zero calories, you know? Oh, dude, I miss, all right. We're gonna get totally off topic here, but it's a part that's yeah. near and dear to my high blood pressure heart. Um, <laughs> so I was, a, I was a very chubby teenager. I only started losing weight when I switched to diet. So I was only diet soda for a very long time. And obviously you switch up, you have some regular. Then when I started having panic attacks in my early twenties, I had to go no caffeine. So uh, yeah. the problem is there are some things you just can't get no caffeine and Dr. Pepper does not like you can get caffeine free, like cola, uh, Sprite, like the lemon lime shit. Yeah, always. yeah. Root beer, which is my shit, dude. I mix most. I mix most of my liquors with root beer. Everybody <laughs> finds it fucking disgusting, and they're right nah, there. nah. I'm yeah. I'm about that. That's that's good. We'll we'll do that sometime. Yeah. Root beer, root beer cocktails. No, dude, root beer and vodka. I'm, I'm there for that. Not to mention oh, vodka. Vodka. Well, with root beer. So I just I can't do like straight vodka. That's the one that gets mm -hmm. my that and gin made me bad the other day. Yeah, I don't know. At a certain point, I couldn't do gin anymore. But even no. if you do something with whiskey, so again, to bring it back to the fat kid thing, here is a fat, <laughs> here is a fat kid mixture I discovered. If you take uh, root beer and whiskey, so you have a root beer and whiskey, and then you dump some fucking Guinness or any kind of stout into it, dude, imagine that a makes cup, sense. Imagine a cupcake that fucks you up. <laughs> it sounds kind of like a milkshake because you got that thick... Yeah, thick dark beers in there, and mm -hmm. that, that sounds good. Uh, the, the long and short of this is, I have not tasted Dr. Pepper in sixteen uh, years. And gotcha. I, I fantasize about it sometimes. So an oasis of <laughs> it would have I to be Dr. A, Pepper. Yes, of diet Probably caffeine quicker. free Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, caffeine free. Okay. Um, as birds of prey begin to circle overhead, Liet Kynes, he considers the organic process that is occurring deep below the sand. There are small creatures that he calls little makers who are giving water and organic matter to feed and grow a pre-spice mass. At a certain point, the mass begins to grow quickly, which produces a large amount of carbon dioxide. We're, we're getting some of the Frank Herbert nerdery of really like the actual process here, which come yeah. to think of it. It sounds like it does sound a bit like a macro version of how al alcohol is formed, where like <laughs> yeast is a living bacteria that, uh, you know, it, it eats sugar and shits out alcohol and it gets us fucked up. Yeah. That's kind of what these gigantic worms are doing. It feels like I don't know enough of the process, but it does seem like. Yeah, me neither. Fermentation. Yeah. I don't know. My sister would know, but 
I do not. That sounds um, like a weird insult. Like, oh yeah, you know Burn's <laughs> sister. She knows her way around. She knows how to like make beer. If you catch my drift. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, this whole chapter, it's cool because they like shove all this info dump into a death scene. Yeah. And it's like, all right, you know, this is some information that like we definitely need to know or, you know, it's good to know. And kind of like at this point and the book helps us. And giving them the like the dad's ghost, and it's like, okay, I see that like this dialogue is just you know giving us weird ecology stuff that we're supposed to know, but it's right. like, all right, roll it into a death scene. It'll it'll be somewhat dramatic, I guess. Yeah, and yeah, it's the, the fact that he's thinking about like, oh yeah, you know, they have these carbon dioxide explosions. Like, oops, there's one right now. I guess I'm dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, they have the great line at the end is like, and as his planet kills him or something like that, because the whole idea is like, Mm. he's the planetary ecologist and this is not belonging to him, but you know, this is the planet, you know, he, he has a relationship to this planet, you know, and it kills him. It's like when a whale trainer gets killed by a whale. Exactly. Exactly. Like just Shamu bites your head off, you know, it's... (laughs) it's there's a a, supposed to be a level of tragedy kind of to it Mm -hmm. uh okay chapter four the epigraph the princess wonders how much of prediction is reading the set future and how much is the prophet shaping the future to it does a prophet read the future or does he see a line of weakness that he can shatter with words or decisions Uriolan concludes that this weighty question remains unanswered yeah, that's a, I mean, cool. Uh, well, for one thing, if you're a prophet and you can see the future, I mean, well, this is the one thing. That's so- the thing. It's not about seeing the future. Mm-hmm. It's about being able to imagine all the multiple futures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know. So to go weird nerddom, I've been on a weird, we've done a few episodes of this reading the Bible, which uh, has been so much fucking fun. I was perusing the, uh, b- before, yesterday and I, I saw those that that is cool i'm gonna i'm gonna listen back to those Dude, so much incest so much violence also surprisingly a talking donkey like just weird shit <laughs> I don't think... eddie murphy's in there <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, but uh so i've been reading some like bible study stuff recently and one of the things they mentioned is how you know how there's like four different gospels for the new testament matthew mark right, Luke, right. john all basically telling the same story of jesus they talk about the different functions those stories are supposed to pull and one of them i don't remember which one talks about how this particular version of the gospel is setting up that jesus was the messiah the jews were predicting so mm-hmm. it, that's the one that has like by the way he's related to david the whole way back and he fulfilled this prophecy and this one which obviously, you know, if you're writing it, it's just a way to, you know, by the way, guys, I know, I know those other three assholes didn't mention it, but like, he's totally the dude you've been waiting for. You shouldn't have yeah. killed him, but <laughs> you know, you didn't know. That's now okay. you should he, listen to us because yeah. we were his friends. Exactly. He forgives you for now. But <laughs> So this is a little similar to, to that where, you know, somebody, you know, if you see a place you fit, as a prophet exactly the legend building mm-hmm. and the like myth making for existing inside the myth political means 
Yeah, there's some weird, weird political deceptions in here. It, is this where uh, Jessica is uh, kind of proving herself and kind of saving herself through her yes. physical Although, actions and her words? Mm-hmm. Real, words real quick, mostly. to give it another, I, I forget what I read. I think this might have been in the Motley Crue biography. <laughs> I read about one of them in there saying that uh, in, in like a cocaine fit, they were convinced that Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist going by biblical prophecy. Cause I think, I don't know his middle name, but pretty much Ronald Reagan and his middle name all had six letters. So six, six, six had like yeah, yeah. the voice of a lion spoke across the oceans. Just everybody. How many, just, pres- how many presidents have been predicted to have been the Antichrist at this point? It's, it's whatever the current president is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, you hear that about a lot of a lot of people fit into those prophecies. I know you can like yeah. I'm, make I'm still... Nero's name fit in there. You know, mm. it's just it's all very oh, yeah. applicable. A Napoleon. lot of people fit into yeah. I'm I'm still waiting for Obama to declare martial law any day now, according to my <laughs> uncles. Oh shit! Him and what? What is Obama even doing these days? I I'm sure he's still gearing up to be the Antichrist, like yeah, a, like yeah, like those people ready. thought. Right, right. That's why Trump needs to win again and uh, save us from, you know, Obama, because he's doing yes. some real bad shit behind the yes. scenes right now. That's why we haven't heard from him. Obama in a while. And, and Hillary. Oh God, and Hillary. One, one of uh, well, we one know. Of our, <laughs> what one of our comedy friends had such a great joke, and I'm just going to butcher it real quick for the point. He, yes. he talks. He talks about how like oh, there's the conspiracy that Hillary Clinton drinks babies' blood to stay young. Uh, I'll tell you the who real conspiracy. Who the fuck thinks Hillary Clinton looks young? <laughs> yeah, right. It's not working, Hillary. It's not worth it. Yeah, maybe maybe get a little pickier on which children's kidneys. Maybe you're- she's like five hundred years old though, and she's been doing In that the whole time, and it just gets harder to you know retain her form as time goes on and with strain. You know, like once she made herself known, like she's an ancient vampire mm. who like recently only got into the political sphere and you know how like uh the president's hair goes white like while he's in office Uh maybe it's that and just like she's just her vampire-ness doesn't stay as much and she's just like eating more babies to try to stay alive but she's like i'm gonna make it she's a thousand years old so you know I got hey, got to admit, if Hillary Clinton's five hundred years old, she, she looks great. <laughs> I changed it to a thousand, but a thousand five hundred works too. Fifteen hundred, <laughs> she's fifteen hundred years old. You know, like dude, real talk. That's what Jeffrey Epstein's really doing, supplying the babies. Oh God, yeah, real talk. If you look up young <laughs> pictures of Hillary Clinton, she's a bit of a cutie, I'd say. Yeah, no, eating all those babies. You know, back when the vampirism was working. Hold on, we're gonna go totally. Off topic. I'm going to do. A sh- I'm going to do. <laughs> we a share weren't already. <laughs> Further off topic. I'm going to do a share screen hey. again, just so we can see a young Hillary Clinton. Yeah, come on. That's see, she's 750 years old. There. 750. On, yeah, yeah. She's on a diet of you know small Guatemalan children. <laughs> oh man, those glasses were unfortunate. Yeah, the glasses oh, don't help. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> oh man, those pants too. She's also wearing those <laughs> pants that look like a vortex into her vagina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's how she hypnotized Bill. Oh, God. 
it's how all could, in the pants. How could Bill resist? He had just turned down that slave hooker. And then <laughs> oh no, Bill! What the fuck? <laughs> okay, all right. Let's get back into this uh, thing. Um, yeah, yeah. All right. Paul and Jessica are still surrounded by hostile Fremen on the <laughs> top of a rocky outcrop. Mother and son tense for battle as they hear a Fremen give the command to get their water. Through her better guesser at training, Jessica can understand their indigenous language as Chikopsa and deduces that the Freemen are holding back as they consider whether the two strangers are might be the ones they have apparently been searching for. The Freeman leader reveals himself as Stilgar, the one that Paul met through Duncan, Idaho during Duke Leto's staff meetings in Arakeen. Remind me, is he the one that spit on the table? I don't remember, actually. I didn't, uh, <laughs> I didn't prepare by reading okay. up, up until. It's been a minute. I, I think that's who it was. Earlier when Duke Leto is alive, oh. they, they have, uh, <laughs> they have a, a slightly hostile Freeman guy come in trying to give him shit. And then he agrees to a truce and spits on the table. And everyone's like ready to attack him at first. But then they're like, no, he's showing. It's like he's giving his what? I think that might yeah. be Stilgar. Yeah, no, I remember the scene you're talking about. I can't imagine who else. It's like, no, he's giving you his water. That's, you know, that's the most respect you can get. Yes, exactly. Uh, Stilgar acknowledges that Paul and Jessica made a brave crossing by traversing the open sands with the threat of sandworms. A Fremen called Jameis who you know quite a bit about, yeah. continually wow. urges Stilgar that the Fremen should kill Paul and Jessica and take their water. This is law for ones who cannot live with the desk. Yeah, J Jameis does seem like that friend who is like, you're out at the bar and they're just trying to start a fight left and right. It's like, no, yeah. man, it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. Little fucking bitch. His water is probably not even good. His fat girl <laughs> have probably has terrible water. <laughs> yeah he's he's a real asshole yeah but you know i, I he fills a role as a character you know the the challenger there needs yes. you know there needs to be someone who's going to challenge paul's you know emergence into this community right not everyone can think he's sandy jesus right away like there needs to exactly there, there needs to be a doubting Jameis here and there Although I don't think, I don't think the resurrected Christ then uh, beat Doubting Thomas in a Chris knife battle. So maybe that that metaphor doesn't hold up very well. <laughs> Stilgar decides he will not kill Paul because Liet Kynes has uh, ordered the Fremen to find the young Duke. Stilgar also knows that Paul may be Lysenau Gaib, the prophesied Messiah. However, Stilgar believes Jessica's death and reclaimed water is worth more to his Fremen community than she is alive. And I like how he just kind of casually, like, we're, we're going to save your kid, but I mean, you're worthless. You're going to be a pain in the ass. You know this. So, yeah, um, we got to kill you. I'm sorry. Yeah. I wish we didn't have to do this, but. <laughs> it's, a, it's the desert. We need water. You have water. That's all you're good for. So, right, right. Sorry. Um, she pretends to slump to the ground as Stilgar approaches to kill her with his knife. She catches him by surprise by disarming him and holding him powerless with her, her Bene Gesserit Jitsu. Uh, Paul anticipated his mother's attack and runs for cover in the rocks where he has a better angle to not only to hide, but to attack if his mother's in more danger. Stilgar orders his men back, impressed, recognizing that his life is in the hands of the very capable fighter who basically she earns his respect. Like, oh, goddamn, okay. Um, if she can beat him, then Jessica is worth 10 times her weight in water alive and wants her to teach the rest of the Fremen her skills. 
Stogar offers them a place in his community if Jessica will teach them the weirding way. He reminds her of his hatred for the Harkonnens and reiterates his offer to support to her. Which I got, hey, sci-fi or major politics or even in personal life, nothing will make me trust somebody quicker than if we hate the same person. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a driving force. You got the same motivations, you know? You all yes. want the same things to happen. Yes, exactly. Like, listen, yeah. we, might have, we might have some different goals. We might have some different philosophies. We all agree we want to see what's-his-face fucking wedgied on a fence somewhere. Yeah. We want Actually, to murder the ass out of Raban. That seems like a common... They all hate him, especially. Yeah, I'm That's excited to thing. see that in the movie. I want to see Batista playing him. Yeah, yeah. He seemed really excited about it, too. You know, I heard him talking about it. He is a download dork, so it would not yeah. surprise me if he has been, if he has loved Dune for, like, his entire life. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty badass. But, um, <laughs> and it's funny, because, like, they are supposed to hate Raban because of Fade, and they're trying to put in, like, Fade's just the opposite of, not the opposite of Paul, but an equivalent, you know? It's right, like, we're right. going to make him the next ruler and messiah. And people are going to love him because we're going to get this dipshit to be hated as fucked. Mm -hmm. it, be hated as fucked. And, and, you know, it's just there's a lot of uh, political engineering going on on every, by like all that. of the ruling class. I like it. This is like, um, oh, fuck, who was it? So yeah, this was like, uh, so to give us a real life political, I, I don't know how much you know of presidential I mean, politics history. En enough, maybe. <laughs> so um, when Gerald Ford oh. became president in, in the 70s, uh, that was still right after Watergate. So pretty much when his election came up, he only became president because Nixon resigned. The Republicans were pretty much in a situation of like, do we really throw our money behind a guy or do we have too much of the stink of Watergate on us right now? So I, I think, I think the rumor was they threw Ford up there knowing he was going to lose with the whole idea being like, let's get Jimmy Carter elected. He's going to suck. And then in four years, Ronald Reagan's going to be ready to fucking rock and roll. Right. Right. Then we'll clean up after that. And yeah. that is exactly what happened. Yeah. So Oh, yeah, life imitating art, and that was all. That Absolutely. also chronologically art imitating took, life. Yeah, exactly. Chronologically took place after this book was published, so who knows? Maybe right. Maybe the <laughs> they were GOP, just reading Dune. Yes, the GOP had Dune fans in there, which definitely a possibility. There's a lot of Ayn Rand fans in the GOP. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, but when you look at it, it's like so obvious that it's like spice can be oil. And Arrakis can be the Middle East, you know, yep. the Arab uh, section of the earth. And you have this whole, you know, ruling class being the fucking mm -hmm. first world, the colonizers, you know, fucking everything up and fucking up everyone's lives and, you know, affecting their religious beliefs. So if they're ever in a pinch, they can get out of it. We see a little bit of that in this in this chapter. I was gonna say, is there a Dune nine eleven at some point? Because that is seems to be what they're setting up. Oh yeah, right, right. Some disasters and catastrophes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't uh, know about that. So um, the young woman there reveals that she is Chani, Liet Kine's daughter, and Paul is shocked to re that he recognizes this girl from his dreams on Caliban. 
her face is the same, but the setting they meet is different than he uh, had noticed before. Chani offers to lead him down the rocks, teasingly chiding Paul that he chose the most difficult, difficult path to climb up and was as noisy as a shy halud in a rage. She moves gracefully down the rock face, and Paul is glad that it is dark so no one can hear him blushing. He is still amazed at meeting the young woman from his dreams and thinks that she is like a touch of destiny. So first of all, good to finally know where the band name Shai Halud comes from. Right. Yeah, but the my the, the other guitarist in my in my high school band actually was a touring guitarist for them for a, a European tour. Oh so, shit, that's awesome. Yeah, that's shout out Stefan. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's cool seeing Paul. We've seen Paul be like so weirdly it just in his own head dealing with these new powers lately that it is kind of funny that like because again he is a 15 year old as soon as there's a cute girl around he's like i just, <laughs> what do i do i might be i i can see the future you're you're pretty uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah have, have you ever had a literal dream come true like this nah, i can't say i have yeah, I can't say either. I mean, I'm, I'm but like, to... you ever have? Okay, this is a stretch, but you ever have that dream that you're taking a piss in the toilet, and then you wake up and you're, it's not this. That's one dream that came true once. You ever pee in your sleep? Ooh. That's the worst. So I've had a. Weird then it's one. like I was doing it right. Fuck. <laughs> I, I haven't I had... had this happen in a long time, but it's. I had a dream when I was very young. <laughs> I got called into an office and Alfred Hitchcock was in there. Wait, that happened to you in real life? He's dead. No, no, you'll you'll see what I mean. You'll see what I mean. I'm sorry. This was at the time, this was when like Nick at Night was still really early and they had like his TV show and it always creeped me out because that was where he would like walk into the silhouette and had the creepy music. So in this office with Alfred Hitchcock and I go to leave and he says, oh, Jesse, one more thing. And I turn around and he throws a dart that hits me in the forehead. And then I wake up and I'm bleeding from my forehead. Oh, shit. What happened? I think I rolled out of bed. I hit my eyebrow on the Uh, nightstand and my brain just did a quick like, let's get Alfred Hitchcock in here. We need to explain this. (laughs) That's insane. Yeah. Do you think he was going to say something else to you before you hit your head? And like when you hit your head, that's when he threw the dart. So I never had that one. So I, God, uh, my, so my dad died in my early twenties and I dream about him a lot. And that those dreams always have a weird, like wake up point. Cause in those Mm -hmm. dreams, I'm hanging out with my dad, but it's like in the real world. And the whole thing is like, my dad was dead and he was just back one day and we don't bring it up. We don't talk about the fact that he's dead. He's here now and we're enjoying our time. No, that's awesome. Yes. But but the end of the dream is always like, so are we, are are we going to talk about the fact that you were dead and then you just came back? Yeah. And then he, he, he starts to like shove it off and then the dream ends. Yeah. Yeah. Every time. So annoying. Oh, that's right rest in peace, dad. Yeah, I miss, I miss you. Pa. Shout out to all the dead dads everywhere dying at it. Dude, my dad died at fucking 46. Like, that's fucking oh, man. Like, it didn't seem old when he died, but now that I'm getting closer to it and like some of my favorite professional wrestlers who were retired came back like 
are in better shape than I've ever been. And they're older than my dad ever lived to. It's weird. Yeah. Life's like that at some point, you know, then we're eventually all going to get to the point where Hillary is where we got a thousand years under our belt. Just give it some time. <laughs> my dad died. Hillary Clinton was only 186 years old. Yes. <laughs> you know why? He was a working man. He didn't need yeah, that exactly. child's blood. He got by on Oxycontin and whiskey, thank you very much, <laughs> which doesn't have the same healing properties mm -mm. as a North Korean infant. No. Okay, chapter five. Uh, <laughs> Prince Uriolan text states that the Freeman's prophecy in Spannungsbogen, so this is so weird. They pull from so many real life languages in this I think it's obvious that a lot adding to the Middle Eastern flair, they have a lot yeah. like Madib. That you're trying to sound Middle Eastern, but here the Fremen, which does sound like a German word, have a blatantly German Swedish sounding word of Spannungsbogen, which mm. is the self imposed delay between desire for the thing and the act of reaching out to grasping that thing. I need to look into this just because it seems. I'm curious if people have really tried to like incorporate some of this Bene Gesserit stuff into like meditation. Because uh, that does sound like something like, I, I read about that and I'm literally like, ooh, you know what? My diet's not that great right now. I wonder if I should actually try that. Like literally just like putting a beer and a hoagie out in front of me and just like stay, sitting there and looking at it for hours. Yeah, yeah. Uh, delaying reward is definitely like that. All these things they pull from that kind of stuff, I think, you know, it's and that's why it's you know, it seems like it could effectively create, you know, a superhuman witch emperor or whatever, you know, because mm -hmm. like this is real life applicable, uh, self help shit, I guess you'd call it, you know. You know, I, I'm curious how this must have gone with uh, David Lynch's Dune because David Lynch is very, fa very famously into transcendental meditation. Yeah, but uh, no, he's so transcendental. He doesn't talk about any of this shit. You know, if he were to give some of it away, then you wouldn't have to pay like a thousand dollars a week for it or, you know, whatever it is. Look, the only thing I can say about that. Yes, it does seem kind of weird that they charge all this money for it. It's a little pyramid schemey <laughs> to me, I think, you know, you get some elite artists in there well here, here's the thing it would be one thing if all i know is there are all these huge artists that are way into transcendental meditation i don't know a single loser into transcendental meditation <laughs> but maybe this is what i need i mean it yeah, yeah. i i know i'm trying to think who were the big ones i know david lynch david lynch yeah andy I, kaufman was one which uh, it didn't seem to help his lungs but hey you know <laughs> oh no <laughs> Some things you can't dodge. Yeah. Ooh, that's what happened. He faked his death and he became the current incarnation of Hillary Clinton. Right, right. Yeah, that was only his fifth incarnation, you know? Yes, he's, he's going to come back as Tom Baker, Andy Kaufman next time with the scarf. That's what I'm holding out for. <laughs> Whew, how, there's a lot of nerdery in that sentence. Top tier nerdery. Hell yeah. Uh, so... After traveling with Stolgar and his Freeman throughout the night, Paul and Jessica reach the Cave of Rocks at dawn. Jessica comments on the Freeman's discipline, and Stilgar tells her that this is for the survival of the tribe, and that they choose a leader using the same value. The leader is always the strongest individual who brings water and security. Jessica wonders aloud if she has undermined Stilgar's authority by besting him in combat, 
but he replies it was not a formal trial which is a fun like no that didn't that didn't count it didn't count yeah they didn't see a girl beat me up you were feigning that's not fair you cheated yeah you cheated it's not you look pretty cute doing it too Uh, he says all his people are eager to learn the weirding way of Jessica's fighting style. Stilgar also reveals that his people have stayed outside over long into daylight hours because, you know, they're trying to, if the place is so hot, they typically work yeah. at night. Well, I can relate. I don't leave the house before the day is done and so, gone. Yeah, Usually, you and I, you and I talk I can about help that. It. When, when you and I were trying to uh, <laughs> schedule this and I had a moment of nostalgia, like, oh, I miss waking up at two in the afternoon. It can be fun. It can be fun. But uh, working till five in the morning sucks sometimes. I haven't done it in a while, but I can't wait to do it. I want to get a fucking job. I, I was only doing sound engineering before COVID hit. Now I think I got to like take some, some, not music jobs to get back up there but yeah. we'll see Dude, give I it remember, time I, I just remember my early 20s working in like the restaurant industry like the fact like i'd get off work at 11 o'clock and then go m- literally meet my friends at midnight like that <laughs> yeah, is just yeah that is so not me anymore i'm sure i could get back to it it's yeah just, i mean it's just you know it, you whatever schedule you're on whatever shift you're on you get used to it exactly yeah. you know it's um god but before i met my wife too i had already gotten into the office type life and i briefly started dating a girl who worked as a waitress and there was like the schedule just didn't fucking work anymore i could not make it happen no no because no. you're getting out at like fucking five in the morning yeah exactly to, to waitress probably earlier yeah uh stogar also reveals that his people have stayed outside to, oh yeah so they're putting in extra hours to gather spice to give to the guild. Um, Stilgar reveals that it was Liet Kine's instructions to do so. In return, the guild refrains from flying satellites over desert areas that the Freemen are trying to terraform to alter the climate. Even though it will take more than six generations to see the full result of their work, the Freemen are wholly committed to de- developing the planet into a better home for human life. They dream of a planet where people can walk the earth without still suits an environment that includes healthy plant life and surface bodies of water. So this is one of the ties it has to another major science fiction thing. Have you ever read Stranger in a Strange Land? I have not. So that one, I think that precedes this one, but it hits on a lot of the same topics. The whole, the whole premise of that book is astronauts go to Mars to live there for a while. They all die, but we find out 30 years later that two of the astronauts fucked and had a baby on mars so basically a human baby born on mars raised by martians and then it gets brought back home and it's kind of ziggy stardust like by martian Martian. martians or by the astronauts no raised by martian martians oh shit that's cool so there were martian martians there yes there were martian martians did they have cities or what's like i think they had like they like i think basically they had underground civilizations, but yeah, that's, okay. that, that's not the they were like Fremen. Of, exactly. But yeah, yeah, the, the, the premise of the novel isn't even like, whoa, there's Martians. It was <laughs> this, this human Christ figure that was like not human at all, raised the entire thing. But because right, right. they make him, he loves swimming in the pool when he comes back to Earth because <laughs> water is so rare on Mars that that's like a decadent, hedonistic, like, 
Right. You mean Bathing I can take in a, water. Jesus. Yeah, like you mean I can take a bath in diamonds, basically? Right, right. Oh my god. But then Space that, Jesus. That author was also actually a an early proponent of free love. So of course there's a lot of like fucking happening in like the mid forties of that novel. Well, yeah. Next next episode you're gonna get into that, right? I think so. In in this one, yeah. Uh, oh, so question there. Sex and drugs and no rock and roll. I don't think. Oh no, yeah, Gurney's not here. So uh, he's he's around. He's around. He's, yeah, yeah. Okay. He hasn't done a lot of rocking. He's been singing very sad songs about ballads. The desert, he's a he's a sad guy. Soul. Yeah. Was he a gladiator or something? A gladiator, right? troubadour, some shit. Yeah. Uh, so even though it'll take six generations, they're dedicated to terraforming the planet. Burn, what is your longest term plan? Uh, well, probably the, I'm, I'm going to, uh, do my fucking pitch here. Like <laughs> I'm going to do my plug right here. Do Coming it. out with an album we've been working on for three years. So that's, that's been a fun one. COVID hit in the middle. That's why it's taken three years. But um, yeah, we wrote it around uh, 2019. Some of the songs are a bit older. Some of the songs are a little newer. But um, yeah, COVID hit right in the middle. We were at a studio in New Jersey recording to tape, like using all analog gear and shit. Can I, ask, then, what, can I ask what studio? Uh, it's my friend's house. But uh, Dirty okay. Old Robot, uh, House of Robot. Okay, okay. Yeah, they're doing a bunch of stuff all the time putting out some great music but um yeah we you know the thing got cut short by covid and mm. by you know it was getting to be 20 uh 21 real soon and we made the decision to start over in my basement so we've been working on that for the last nine months and uh we've got two singles out we've, as i said before the third one's coming out on october 18th and then we've got the album coming out in uh mid-november Hell yeah. I'm looking forward to this. I really want to check out. I, I want to know what sci-fi ska punk sounds like. <laughs> well, it's, I don't even know. There, there's not too much sci-fi in that one song even, because it's ah. just like that one poem was so True. fucking badass. That yeah. is, it's a lot. I mean, it's lines from that. It's uh, pulled some lines from the uh, litany against fear. And some other places. It was more, more of the philosophical kind of stuff. Okay. Not philosophical, you know. Well, I mean, I think we could both argue that that's probably the, the philosophical stuff is the coolest thing about this sci-fi story. Oh, definitely. Yeah, the best sci-fi, sci-fi is the rapper. Yes, the the best sci-fi is the best sci-fi and the best horror is always a reflection on you know real life anxieties and issues. Absolutely, that's what makes it fun. Yeah. All right, let's start steamrolling through this as we get towards the end. Oh yes. Yeah. Jessica is shocked to see movement in the distance that looks to her like Fremen riding on the back of a sandworm. Stilgar says that they cannot ride a maker in their current area because worms are not permitted there. They, they kind of hint this might be a mirage, but I, this seems like something that's going to happen. Like, you know, a major domestication of like, you know, your biggest threat. Uh, Stilgar implies to Jessica that he is interested to know whether she would consider coming his wife. Very, er- dude, you just met. God. I know you got a little a fear boner when she held a knife to your throat, but man. <laughs> he knows she's very powerful and realizes that one day in the future, Jessica would need to challenge his leadership as the Freeman way of the strongest individual holding authority. Their marriage would negate that need to fight for leadership. 
It would not involve a physical relationship. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, baby, let's just do this out of tradition. We don't need to do anything. Let's just light this <laughs> candle and put on some music. Mm. He says something like, we don't need to indulge in the huddlings of sex or something. Mm-hmm. What did he just say? Uh-huh. Yeah, Stilgar's, pulling, Stilgar's a pickup artist. <laughs> He's he, he's negging her like yeah you're totally not my type or anything. Oh like, no yeah you know. afterwards he's just like uh I, I don't want to be with you because like everyone's gonna be jealous and we're gonna have to fight or something. Yeah. So, all right, dude. Whatever you have to say. I, I would I, I wouldn't want us to have to fight at some point. I wouldn't have to. Wouldn't want to rush up your nice tender frame. And okay. okay. Jessica's respect <laughs> for Stilgar grows due to his considered foresight and reflection. She considers his offer of marriage, realizing such a move would solidify her place in the tribe. However, she concludes there's too many unknown factors about what effects this would have on Paul and her unborn child. Again, you know, you can't say, sure, I'll marry you. By the way, I'm pregnant. Like, oh, that's wasted water. Let me just... (laughs) Let me pump that out real quick. Yeah, let me just pull a sub-zero and just like... Oh, no. Actually, I guess that's more of a Kano. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) Stilgar suggests there is another alternative to a, uh, Jessica could become the tribe's reverend mother for their current one is very elderly. With Stilgar and his tribe watching her, Jessica suddenly feels this is an opportunity to prove she is the prophesied reverend mother. After a moment, she is able to let an external memory come upon her and recite ritualistic words that are known by the freemen. So is this the type of thing, again, like she doesn't actually know, she can like draw on the memories of others and like know like, Oh, if I say this thing right now, I'll fulfill the prophecy. Or does well, she um, Paul can do that. At, or Paul will be able to do that kind of thing. Okay. I, I don't know if it's clear um, whether or not she can. I feel like the you know prescient abilities are supposed to be very rare and hard to attain, especially without a lot of spice ingestion. Right. So um, – it, it could even be something that's like, you know, oh, I remember that little bit of, you know, the Bible or something. Because, that you know, that's basically she's reciting this, you know, religious kind of stuff that's been planted, mm-hmm. you know, there okay. by the Bene Gesserit in, you know, ancient times into their mm-hmm. culture so that, oh, you know, if you need to fulfill a prophecy, you know, like the five different passwords that you can like slip mm-hmm. in there. The longest um, of long cons. Yeah, no, but I, I don't know if they state whether or not she's able to uh, pull things out of the ether or not. Yeah, it's a, it, it, it was the specific phrase of external memory made me wonder that. But anyway, yeah. it, it works. They respond to her chanting, and after uh, Stilgar confirms she'll become the new Reverend Mother, if Shai Halud grant it. All of the Fremen now regard Jessica with respect and awe, except for Jameis, who's all brooding in a corner. Uh <laughs> Paul is hesitant. He sees that a minute decision such as the blinking of an eye or a negligent word could have substantial universal consequences. He also sees violence and his own death by knife wound at the end of many of the future paths laid out before him. So yeah, again, that long-term planning, especially seeing towards the end, I might end up fucking dead at a lot of yep. Well, then again, all future paths lead to us being dead. So Exactly, yeah. So you can't see past that ending because it's going to happen no matter what Right. at some point. And I guess by a knife, uh, for some reason, that's everyone's favorite way to kill him. Yeah, like nobody, nobody pushes him down the steps. It always has to be right. Well, there, 
we get to see one of the knife fights coming up, but um, then there's a later knife fight. It, they like knife fighting. That's like their thing. And like he trains in this, you know? People there's, must be fighting with knives all the time. There's something about sci-fi. They just, uh, particularly when they try to pull it back like this, they just don't like guns. Like, Oh, well, even, they explain that, I think, okay. right? They, they're talking about the shields. And so like with all the shielding and stuff, guns are kind oh, of like- Okay, yeah, because they, they have such a good defense. They have such a good defense against guns that it's just right that like, like guns kind of or like the, he even has a a slow technique with the knife for piercing a shield. Right. So I guess hand to hand combat is now advantageous in the future. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. How we go about it's just the same way that uh, axe throwing became big again. <laughs> Ooh, some axe throwing with Paul Atreides. That might be fun. <laughs> Okay, so final chapter, uh, the epigraph. The emperor was 72 years of age, but looked no older than 35. Uriolan describes the way that he could radiate charm and sincerity, but knows this was an act. She reveals that he was a man who was fighting to escape a feeling of entrapment and emasculation due to his lack of a son in the face of the ancient House Carino dynasty. The princess draws a distinction between her Bene Gesserit mother and Lady Jessica, with the former obeying her superior's orders to produce daughters while Jessica rebelled and had Paul. See, so yeah, again, just another reminder that uh, everything about Paul's life has been very planned by mm -hmm. uh, Jessica, even straight up like ignoring orders. Um, it transpires that Jameis has challenged Jessica to combat, as is his legal right. He wants the duel Paul to undo the shame he feels of being bested by the young stranger of their first encounter. So yeah, I, so this whole thing was out. I picture this as like a fun wrestling match challenge. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. And it's like, no, you have to kill him now. Sorry. Well, Paul, brother, I know you thought you got the best of me when you pinned me in that loser terraforms the planet match. But ah. nature, nature boy Jameis is going to take you down with the figure four Chris knife. Woo! <laughs> Stone Cold Stillgar. And, uh. <laughs> they would make a great wrestling team. Yes, it would. The tag team of the century. All right. Oh Jameis God. is also angry that Paul and Jessica carry a wealth of water to the Freeman. Right, so Paul and Jessica have had all this water with them, and they don't really recognize that, like, they're kind of flaunting it in front of these yeah, yeah. people who are not only using it, but we're going to find out soon, are hoarding it very much. Uh, Jessica gives the water to the Fremen, stating she intends the abundance of liquid to save life. Jameis still wants to fight Paul, and though Stilgar is unhappy about it, pretty much anybody who – Fremen's all have a right to do this challenge at any point. Paul steps forward to try to talk to Jameis, but the Fremen is too worked up to let him. Paul feels calm and believing that he can best Jameis again, although the recent visions of his death make him a little unnerved. Chani gives him a Chris knife, and Paul – I just love that he's just crushing on this girl, and now she's – all right, and here's how you can murder my – my, my neighbor. Thanks. He's an asshole anyway. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you all of his ticks and, you know, his yeah. moves. Watch out for the Falcon punch, but you can get him when he starts doing that, you know? Okay. I'll look out for the Falcon punch. You, you smell really good today, by the way. If I, if, if I live, we should, we should go see a movie. Um, <laughs> Channing gives him a Chris knife and Paul matches Jameis's action in stripping off his still suit before stepping forward. Chani has also whispered, yeah, a like a small weakness in Paul's defense that in, uh, in Jameis's defense, he may be able to take advantage of. 
Except for the fact that he's used to fighting with a force shield, Paul feels confident in his training from Gurney Halleck as he and Jameis circle one another. But after watching the whipcord of a man before him, Paul is suddenly overcome with fear. No foresight can help him in such a moment on the edge of death. He calms himself in the Bene Gesserit way. Paul and Jameis spar, with Paul clearly having greater skills than Jameis. His, face, he, his fighting is beautiful in its deadly grace, but his timing on attack is off because he, of his shield training. Instead of trying to get through the shield, Paul needs to be slow and deceptive. Finally, Paul lands a blow to Jameis's knife hand. He asks Jameis to yield, but the Freemus cannot per his people's laws. Man, that sucks, man. I mean, I, I've been in... I've been in fights before, and at a certain point, we're like, all right, man, come on, this is stupid. But if you live in a society, it's like, oh, no, this is to the death. One of you needs to die. Only yeah. one person walks away from this. I, I, yeah, I, that's kind of fucked up. Yeah, I know we were fighting because the blonde in the corner was looking at you, and you thought she was looking at me, but no, this needs to be to the death now. <laughs> so many dead. Well, that's how they recoup all the water. It's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got... You know. People need water, and one less person means more water for everyone. Exactly. Uh, oh, finally, Paul Bland's. No, I already hit that line. God damn it! Are we doing? Are we doing spice yet? Are we doing drugs yet? What do you mean? No. Well, um, is is Paul is Paul eating his spice and getting all all loopy yet? I did, think did he we hit that stuff yet. I don't think it's happened yet. I, I think he's already acknowledged, like, oh, shit, spice isn't everything here. Yeah, no, he ate some, and he was getting all, like, high and stuff. But yes. Like, oh, I know, I can see the future a little. Yes, that was when he initial kind of, he had that freak out, like, you know, he smoked too much right, weed. Right. Yeah. But, yeah, so he's definitely, it, it's not only his training, but the spice is helping him see, like, multiple patterns of like I, I get probably in battle he's probably seeing the multiple patterns of attack that will probably be coming forward him well yeah and no, I, I think he's starting to say that like it's a he says like a time nexus because there are so many small potentials and possibilities that you can't even plan for it right right so um Jameis reaches a point of desperation in his fear and leaps at paul trying to outwit him by changing his knife to his left hand uh, thanks to Halleck's training and Chani's advice, Paul is aware of the danger. Jameis's leap brings his body straight down onto Paul's swiftly moved blade. The Freeman falls to the floor instantly dead. So almost like, like might have caught him right under the sternum, directly into the heart. Uh, all of the tribe gathers right away to reclaim his water while Jessica approaches her son. Paul has killed another human for the first time, and Jessica wants to ensure he does not grow to enjoy such a win especially when the two fighters were unevenly matched in skill. Weird parenting moment. I, I hope when I have children, I can, you know, go in and be like, good kill, son. Don't let it get uh, to your head. Right, right. It's very important. Uh, when do you think uh, Jessica first killed her first person? Like, she's been through this before, right? She's killed before. Yes. It's, we, we, we've actually hit, we've hit on in other episodes that, like, they talk about all the powers of the Bene Gesserit. And we theorize that like maybe they have no powers and they're just particularly slutty because they're always they're always kind of like okay I have to use my powers come over here big boy how we how you doing <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think she has snapped a lot of necks with her thighs just is like, what I'm getting to oh no yeah that's hard I've never tried it before I'm not an assassin but uh... <laughs> I think we need to try. 
God, I, uh, I, I worked in, uh, I worked for a porn website for a very brief amount of time. Hell yeah. We're how going do you get that there. job? It's right in center city. You know how I got that job? Craigslist. Then oh shit. They needed that makes people. sense. Yeah. They needed people to write ad copy and shit like that. But, uh, mm-hmm. I had to write a blog on a particular fetish. Cause we got tons of these movies and it was just like these muscular women, just like squeezing dudes heads. <laughs> and that's it it would be a half hour sometimes if it wasn't a dude there they like put a watermelon between their thighs and like what they're just it. crushing things exactly yeah and i i didn't get it but it was pretty cool it's like yeah it's definitely someone's thing there's a thing for everything when i started that job mm-hmm. i told every woman i knew like start a website where all you do is smoke cigarettes because it makes so much money yeah yeah that makes sense Ooh. someone will like that so all right what does a uh, all right what are what are some extreme kinks on arrakis i did not send you this question beforehand because it only came to me now ah. what we know about arrakis i mean i i think i think piss would probably have to be high because you're wasting water <laughs> or or you're kindly giving it to another person oh yeah 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 i think you're right on that well so there's this like meme dune meme about the thigh pads, how feces is stored there. So, like when you said Arrakis fetish, I was like, yeah. no, it's like thigh pad shit, uh, literally. Just, just like scat porn. Only it's none of the dirtiness, and it's all like, look how kind and giving she is. Oh my god, to her man, he could live off that water. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck. Um. Ooh, I, I think orgasm denial would have to be up there because then they're not wasting water. You're right. You're right. And was that whole thing about them deny yeah, the hoagie and the beer? That's right. Yes. You know, that's, <laughs> that's right up their alley. That is right. Just denial of self with no, like, God, that has been no release ever. No. Yeah, you know, I, I, bought, I bought this hot romance novel. They never touched each other. And then seven generations later a tree grew it was so oh, hot shit that's so beautiful that's what stillgar was talking about right yes yeah with their marriage um well that's a, they're about to get into some kinky stuff start you know doing drugs and all having sex right that's i i haven't got to that future. point yet but i'm excited that's in our future soon <laughs> um the rest of the freemen look at Paul with varying emotions, admiration, fear, even loathing. Jessica and Paul realize that the Fremen do not understand Paul's shield training and believes he was sadistically toying with Jameis rather than ending the fight quickly and cleanly. Mm. Stilgar and his Fremen are shocked to learn that Paul has never killed a man before and that he didn't want to kill Jameis. They understand and respect his actions now with Stilgar bestowing the honor of a Freeman name on Paul. Stilgar Siech will know the young man by his secret name. Is it Usel? Usel? Usel. Usel. Meaning the strength at the base of a pillar. As per Freeman custom, Paul is then asked to choose a name for himself that all Freeman may call him openly. They've hinted at this pretty strong in the epigraphs, but right here he chooses the name Wadib, which uh, is, you know, these little Bible passages have all been referring to him as in the manner of the desert mouse. This is the name he predicted long ago, and it reminds him of the terrifying visions he had of Fremen troops crossing the universe in a violent religious crusade, the Jihad, 
in Wadib's name. Therefore, Paul amends his choice to Paul Wadib, having not seen this in any vision and hoping he can change his fate. But he still feels the terrible anger that surrounds his growing power. Stilgar's invoking of funeral rites for Jamis grows Paul's sinking feeling of an unavoidable and catastrophic future war. <clears throat> yeah, that's got to be a bummer. Like, just saying, like, oh, people are going to be killing for me. And I would rather they didn't. I don't like that. I think he's realizing that um, because of who he is politically and, you know, the scheme of things, he, if he becomes any sort of leader, he's fucked and he can't right. avoid this, you know, death and destruction. It's either, you know, get snuffed out and killed by the other powerful people or, you know, fight and kill them. And it, mm -hmm. He doesn't like it, and he's going to spend the whole rest of the book wrestling with this until he makes a decision. Okay, so you have a you, you got a smidge of Hamlet there, uncertain what to do. His father's dead, right? But uh, well, that's the one thing with the Lynch movie is it completely leaves out this detail. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's not even a detail; it's like the main that like from here on out, it's the main driving motivation in, in Paul. And, you know, we'll define his character at the end as, you know, maybe something more than a, like a white savior figure that he comes off of in the, the Lynch story. Right, right. Well, because it also shows his consideration for the impact his, you know, being this chosen one is going to have on other people. It would be, it would be the equivalent if in the Bible there was also a mention of like, you know, it would be really great if you guys don't do a Spanish Inquisition one day, but uh, I'm going <laughs> to exactly. do it. Exactly gonna try to make sure that doesn't happen right but yeah uh you got anything else because that's that's the end of our notes well um yeah Jameis is dead and uh mm. if you want to hear a sneak peek of our song dirge for Jameis," um send a message to burning the bastards on facebook or instagram and say dirge for Jameis," or hey i want to listen to your dumb song asshole and uh, I will send you a secret link to a YouTube leak that you can Ooh. have access to. Okay. See, I, I, I like the secret aspect of it. Yeah. Spreading around there. Come check out the dirge for Janice. Uh, Burn, thank you so much for doing this, man. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, man. It was a great episode. I like, uh, I like you and I also haven't gotten to talk that much. I, I mainly know you through, uh, through, through your woman as a yeah. Halleck might state it but uh <laughs> yeah man it's cool it's cool to hang out with you a little bit and absolutely yes, we'll have to come up with some mock dr pepper or caffeine free liquor cocktails sometime absolutely sounds good get the root beer in there too that's right all right <laughs> gotta end it like we end every episode i'm gonna stop recording but you and i can keep talking a little bit we'll see you guys next week for Jameson's funeral peace bye